You're listening to the Socialist Lawyer Podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to this meeting on why we should support um, the CBA strike right now. Today we have with us, um, we're going to hear from uh, me and three others, um, Grace Cowell is a barrister at One Pump Court Chambers, uh, specialising in criminal defence. She is a member of the executive of the CBA and the Haldane Society and the Legal Sector Workers' Union and has been advocating for days of action over the last few months. Edmund Potts is a pupil barrister and member of the Legal Sector Workers' United. Uh, he's uh, currently a first six criminal barrister and he's yeah, he's on the exec of LSWU. Kerry Hudson is a director at Bullivant Law Solicitors and the former president of a former president of the London Criminal Court Solicitors Association. You may have seen her speaking on the first day of first day of action outside the old Bailey. This is an event by the Haldane Society. Um, the Haldane Society uh, has been around is a society for uh, legal um, well, Haldane Society of Socialist Lawyers. It's for socialists primarily, uh, and lawyers really second. Um, but today we're talking about uh, these strikes that have been going on over the last uh, four weeks. We're now entering the fourth week of the barrister's days of action and the first full week within it. So the, the strike this week has been from Monday to Friday, building up from two days, um, four days last week. Um, and from now on, uh, unless it escalates further, uh, throughout August, it should be one week on and one week off. These strikes come within a context of growing strikes across society with uh, really in response in part to the cost of living and, and the ongoing effects of cuts uh, in every in every area um, of government budgets. Um, currently, there are we've seen the RMT strikes. Um, we've seen criminal solicitors refusing to accept burglary cases. Um, Royal Mail workers have recently voted to go on strike. BT workers, uh, 40,000 open reach engineers have um, uh, voted to go on strike. Uh, firefighters, I think, are balloting to go on strike after um, a huge reduction in pay over, over many years. Uh, and a story that seems very familiar of. Uh, fire stations closing, um, huge numbers of people leaving the profession due to low pay. And um, quite excitingly, uh, a number of court staff, uh, PCS uh, union members, are going on strike with security staff and courts having, be, having voted overwhelmingly to, uh, to walk out um, towards the end of this month and ongoing ballots amongst court staff with regards to common platform and ballots upcoming in regards to huge job cuts proposed and uh, for, for an increase in pay. I am going to hand, I think, straight over to um, Grace Cowell to speak first and uh, then we'll hear from Edmunds and then Kerry and after that if people have questions or comments um, we'll get to that uh, afterwards. Um, Grace. Thanks, Hannah. Um, I am going to talk today about two main things. So number one, really sort of speaking to the title of this event, why are we striking? Why should you support us? 
And then after that, I'll just give a brief update about, um, about how it's all going. So like Hannah said, I'm a junior criminal barrister. I've been practicing for a bit over two years now. And because of that, I have been able to see firsthand just how appallingly broken the criminal justice system is. Um, in summary, I'll talk about the vast backlogs in the system and the uh, fact we just don't have enough barristers to work on cases. And of course, the implication this um, carries for, for people in general. Um, so why are we striking? Well, the reality is, is if we don't do this now, we don't really have much left to fight for, which I know is dramatic, but, um, but it is a bit of a last stand. We have had the tendency over the last sort of 10 years to capitulate to, um, to meagre offers. Now, we haven't had the same generational success, historical success as, for example, the RMT. And it's worth noting that the CBA is not a union, it's an association. I know everyone will talk to you about that. But we are now at the moment best place to create real change. And there is an, an absolutely enormous um, mandate given by the members of the Criminal Bar Association and um, so much force behind the junior juniors in particular to keep this going. Um, the reality is we aren't going to have enough barristers left to prosecute and defend cases. Um, we can actually see that there aren't enough already. Um, for the last year, uh, in the year leading to March 2022, there were over 1,000 trials across criminal courts which had to be postponed at the last moment because there was simply no prosecution or defence advocate available. Um, and one of the reasons why we don't have enough people is that we cannot retain junior barristers. There's been an exodus. Um, and largely, I would say that's due to, frankly, appalling pay. Um, criminal barristers have suffered an average decrease of 28% in their real income over the last two decades. Uh, something that gains real traction, because I think people just can't believe it's true, but it is, is that special criminal barristers, or specialist criminal barristers, in their first years of practice, expect to earn a median income of 12000 200 pounds um it's below minimum wage and it's completely unsustainable especially when you consider that we work far often more than 40 hour weeks i would say on average um it's it's pretty rare for me to be working a 40 hour week um an example of how that often works in practice um just to make it even more concrete is that sometimes you'll do a hearing for about 126 pounds and that's before expenses. So that's before tax, that's before you pay your chamber's rent on it. And that can involve 10 hours of work, attending court for a full day, uh, paying for our travel, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not sustainable. There has been traditionally a fat cat narrative peddled, which doesn't apply. And that's why juniors have been at the forefront and really centered in this uh, current action because we can show the media and we can show the public that it's just not true. Another problem that we've got is that the average age of criminal barristers has risen significantly. And that's just another symptom of how we can't retain our juniors. Um, due to poor income, a quarter of barristers in the criminal sphere have left over the last five years. And last year, um, another 300 left as well, including 40% of the most junior of the profession. When I joined, I was told over and over and over again by barristers in different areas of field and by other people who weren't barristers at all. You can't just do crime, you shouldn't just do crime. The reality is, is that we need criminal specialist barristers and we won't if we carry on. The problem with this then obviously creates problems in the criminal justice system. Like I said, there were thousands of trials, well, over a thousand trials last year postponed at the last minute. And I think what people don't often realize is that 
when a case gets postponed, you often won't get a listing for many more months. We have a backlog, I think, of, as it stands, 58,000 at the moment. It may have increased by then. I'm sure Hannah will correct me. Um, but an example, again, in December last year, I defended a GBH trial. Um, the alleged offence was in 2018, December 2018. So it had already taken three years to get to court. Um, the client's prison, who I was, uh, client who I was defending his prisons, was locked down on the third day of trial because of COVID. Um, and it took us seven months to get another listing for trial. So by my calculations, it was 1,294 days between the date of uh, what the alleged offence was and between the first day of our trial. My client was found not guilty and he spent over 1,200 days waiting about it, worrying about it, thinking about it. Um, as of course did the other people involved in the case. It takes an average now of over 700 days to get cases to trial in our Crown Courts. And if it's a rape case, that more than doubles to 1,500 days. And the reality is, is that the human cost of that is absolutely dire. Defendants, complainants, witnesses, all waiting. Um, so like I said, we cannot retain barristers. We need to sort it out. And it has serious implications on the rest of the criminal justice system, which brings me pretty much swiftly on to an update on the action. Like Hannah said, um, we have recently had a PCS ballot. Um, this is an example of how broken the criminal justice system is in general. Um, and there are three stages to this ballot. Security officers have been balloted and voted overwhelmingly in favour of action. Uh, the next stage, the second stage, will uh, close on the 11th of August. And that is for those who um, institute the common platform, uh, which is legal advisors and clerks. If they vote in favour of action, I think that will be the third week of August. Um, and then there'll be a third stage to that balloting in the beginning of September surrounding broader issues of pay and redundancies. So the hope, certainly amongst the CBA, is that um, this will bring the criminal bar action ongoing support um, and will inevitably, if there is further action from other areas of the CJS, it will inevitably bring more pressure to bear on the Ministry of Justice. So like Hannah said, we've just ended our fourth week of strike action. We have been doing, not striking, but we've been doing action since actually um, February in the form of no return. So we have withdrawn our goodwill to cover each other's cases at that point. And then obviously it escalated into days of action four weeks ago. 81% of Criminal Bar Association members voted in favour, and that was 2,055 over, I think, out of, yeah, about 2,400 specialist barristers. Um, like I said, the CVA isn't a union, it's an association. Um, Edmund is going to tell you more about, um, obviously, the difference of that. The Criminal Bar Association, I have no uh, problem saying, has in the past been flawed. Um, I ran on the exec about those flaws, but I think it is fair to say that there is a pretty significant consensus now that this is the best leadership we have had in a long while. They are running uh, the matter democratically. They will reballot us when there is significant change and they are putting the junior juniors uh, first and foremost. So we do seem to be getting somewhere and I'm hopeful and indeed we've received assurance from the Criminal Bar Association just this week that we are holding firm and that we are going to continue. The uh, current action will now be week on week off so this week we are striking next week we are not striking um, and we've been told that 80 percent of trials in the crown court have been affected in the last four weeks so that is uh very positive in terms of disruption um very briefly i want to update you on something you may have seen in the press a statutory instrument was published yesterday uh for an increase of 15 percent 
um, on representation orders from September this year. Basically, what that means is that from cases which start in September this year, there will be a 15% increase. First of all, 15% is not enough. It will be swallowed by inflation. And given the 28% real terms uh, decrease, it is just not enough. It's not sustainable. It won't fix anything. It's just a plaster. But also what's really worth mentioning is that we're not going to see that money until 2024, 2025 anyway. Um, the 58,000 cases in the backlog, that is not going to be applied to them. Nothing like that. And the backlog, as we know, has been created by the government that we have, by 10 years of Tory leadership. So really, we're being asked to continue with our goodwill on a problem that is not of our own making. As well as that, unsurprisingly, the Ministry of Justice um, are continuing to peddle lies. They are saying that this 15% will give a, and I quote, generous seven grand pay rise for typical criminal barrister. That is a lie. That is utter nonsense. Um, I don't know how they created that figure, but I know in terms of the people who I am with, the colleagues that I have, um, it is not going to mean a 57 grand increase. Um, of course, that would also bring the junior juniors to um, a rate which may be about minimum wage, but I think probably would likely still be under given the amount we work. Um, but for example, so the Criminal Bar Association says that in actual fact, it won't be seven grand. They say it'll be 1800 a year, obviously not enough. And just as an example, we can spend a day working for £91 for a standard appearance. An increase on that of 15% is £13.65. That's not going to make one iota of difference. Um, so that offer is not good enough. And we knew it wasn't going to be good enough. We knew that that um, was what was going to happen anyway. Um, there has been some concern, obviously, about the dire straits the government now finds itself in. That's not going to affect our days of action. We don't want to pause. We're going to continue. Um, and we, I understand there have continued to be meetings uh, between the Coronavirus Association and the Ministry of Justice uh, in the last few weeks. So I hope that's a bit of a whistle-stop tour about why we're, why we're acting, um, what's been going on and why we need to continue. Um, and obviously, if you've got any, any questions for me at the end, please let me know. Thanks. Thanks, Grace. Um, I am going to hand over to in fact i'm going to just add one thing in because i can i would also add what's been quite interesting we've had a lot of intimidation um in this strike there's been intimidation from the lord chief justice encouraging judges initially to report to encourage or encouraging the cps to ask for wasted costs against defense counsel who hasn't attended um and there's been uh court staff are asked to provide details of council not attending um, higher up to government, kind of blacklisting attempts. Um, luckily, we've had support from other from others in the legal profession, um, from, from civil silks, from, from solicitors to challenge these. And the government has backed down on it. The data that's been requested has been deleted. It's been shown, for example, that a statutory instrument could bring an increase in fees uh, instantly if the government had the will to do so, even though for a long time they were saying it absolutely could not happen. And also, whilst the CBA is um, an association rather union, um, it's being confirmed in a legal advice for, for striking barristers that we do have Article 11 rights um, that, that, and we, we will be exercising in the days of action our Article 11 rights. Um, so I'm going to, just with that addition, hand over to Edmund now. 
Thanks very much, Hannah. So, um, so yeah, I'm executive of Legal Sector Workers United. Um, it's a trade union for all workers in the legal sector, uh, no matter their job title, grade, uh, what part of the legal sector they work in. Uh, so we've been going for a bit over three years now. Uh, during that time, we've grown to over a thousand members now. The union was started essentially on, on two fundamental premises. One is that the legal sector desperately needs to be organised. Um, so obviously we will all have different uh, experiences of this and, and there'll be many different uh, job titles represented uh, among people on this call. Um, legal sector desperately, desperately needs to be organised. Um, there are paralegals um, in London who we're organising at the minute who are being paid minimum wage. And this is at so-called human rights law firms, by the way, in London. Um, and of course, the, the amount of um, people working ridiculously long hours, um, especially in areas of law where, you know, they, they, they're dealing with really vulnerable clients and they, they care about those clients. Uh, and that is exploited by bosses of law firms um, who, you know, know that people want to do a good job. They want to, you know, make sure that the job is done. Um, and the, the end result is that uh, people really work themselves into the ground and they burn out. And, and we say that's gone, long, gone on long enough. Um, and we, we're really sort of pushing for a change in the way, in the working practices and the pay and the conditions of people throughout the, the, the legal sector. The second assumption, the second premise, I think, on which we're, we're based is that there's no good reason why the legal sector cannot be organised. I think what flows from that is that we're determined not to simply be a professional association. Um, so uh, among our members, we have solicitors, we have barristers, we have paralegals, we have legal executives. We also have people that you might not immediately think of. We have archivists, legal secretaries, registered intermediaries um, who are really poorly treated by the Ministry of Justice and who were uh, just at the beginning of, of organising. Um, so there's a lot there to be achieved. Um, and I think that sort of flows in nicely to why we're supporting this action, because, of course, this action uh, that's ongoing right now has been called by the Criminal Bar Association. Um, and it would be nice, uh, of course, if we were dealing with a very simple um, clean slate where we could simply organise everyone in the legal sector into a union overnight and, and all pursue united action. But of course, the, the CBA already exists. There also exist other professional uh, associations like London Criminal uh, Courts Solicitors Association who are taking action of their own kind. But what are the limitations of that? Well, one, uh, of course, you know, as Grace alluded to, is that um, traditionally the, the criminal bar, well, the, the bar in general, um, has had a sort of intermediate position when it comes to the class dynamics of the people involved in it, um, because self-employed, um, overwhelmingly drawn from middle class or privileged backgrounds, um, and that as you might expect, will lead people towards, uh, you know, sometimes lead them towards a particular um, political leaning. Uh, they might expect to have somewhat favourable treatment from the government um, when it comes to things like how much they're paid. 
Um, on the other, now, of course, with more modern developments, um, most barristers get most of their money, especially in the criminal justice system, from the legal aid agencies. So they're all being paid from one, one source, and their fees have been systematically undermined year after year after year. And so the, the end result of that is that now we're in a situation where um, whereas previously it may have been a, a middle-class professional profession with all of the political leanings that you might expect from that, increasingly we have a criminal bar association that is starting to behave more and more like a trade union. Um, and barris, criminal barristers who are starting to see themselves as being more and more like workers. Workers, of course, can be organised, can organise themselves, can put pressure on the people who uh, pay them to demand better pay, to demand better conditions, and to build collective power. So that is, I think, a really positive development. And it's one that we should all be looking to swing behind and support and encourage. Um, we should be throwing all of our weight that we can behind the, the CBA leadership and, and the, the stance that they're taking, which is a very... Um, as, as Grace has, has said, you know, a very positive and a very militant stance, actually. Um, while, of course, recognising that we do need to go beyond um, professional associations and we need to go beyond the division in the legal profession in which barristers and solicitors are not necessarily part of the same association, not necessarily part of the same organisation, which undermines United, the prospect for united action, which, of course, would be the most effective way of taking action. Um, but to, to the extent that they're fighting and to the extent that they go up against the government and stand firm, we should be 100% behind them and encouraging them to do that and to go, in, indeed, to go further. Um, so I think in terms of why this strike is important and what we've been trying to do, um, one of the things that we've been trying to do is to mobilise um, people other than criminal barristers. We do have many criminal barristers who are members of LSWU, uh, but of course we also have lots of members who are solicitors, paralegals, and other, uh, other workers who work in or around the criminal justice system. For example, they will go to the picket lines at the Old Bailey and at other court centres around the country um, to show the criminal bar and to show the leadership of the CBA that they have support, that they're not standing alone, that if it comes to a crunch situation where they're under real pressure from the government, that there is the prospect of solidarity there as well. So I think that's incredibly important. It raises the prospect of mutual solidarity in the future because, because that's desperately needed. Um, solicitors are really, really, really struggling um, at, it, 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 with the, their own fee scheme. Um, and the answer to that, of course, is not what's been put forward for example, by the current chair of the Bar Council, which is effectively to use that as an excuse to undermine the CBA's action and to say, well, we shouldn't be pushing for too high a pay raise uh, because the solicitors aren't going to get one. We shouldn't go further than what the solicitors are going to get. Of course, the exact opposite is the case. We should be saying we deserve a pay rise that goes above inflation so that we can afford to live and continue in this job that we do. And furthermore, so should everybody else in the criminal justice system, solicitors, court staff, intermediaries, all the people who've seen their living standards eroded by inflation, and by years of government underfunding and cuts. So it's, it's entirely the wrong approach. And so I think it's incredibly important that we do everything we can to 
foster the, the mutual solidarity within the legal sector and between the different branches of the profession that's been so sorely lacking, um, because with any luck, the solicitors will be taking the fight to the government as well. And we then we want to be in a position where we say to the criminal bar, look, the solicitors supported you. Now you must support the solicitors and make real that support. Put put those you know, your words of support into action. So that that is incredibly important. Um, just finally, I think on the wider perspective, um, of course, as a trade union, we very much see ourselves as part of the wider labour movement. And this is an incredibly difficult time for for the labour and, and socialist movement. We've been through an incredibly tough historical period of defeats, and that means that we're very, very vulnerable. Um, it does also offer, though, some opportunities because it means that we've been pushed so far back, in a sense, and 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 I and I hope I'm not uh, going to be proved wrong in saying this, but in a sense, the only way is up. We really can, there is an opportunity here to rebuild, and it means that every green shoot of militancy, of workers fighting back, of organising, should be supported. And the more that can be done, to show the criminal bar and indeed the rest of the legal sector that their interests lie in their shared common interest with the rest of the workers' movement, the better. And that's why I think it was incredibly positive to see, uh, for example, the RMT bringing their banner to the, the demo at the Old Bailey uh, and getting a massive cheer from the crowd. And I think we need to do more of that. Uh, and that's uh, that's our kind of perspective. Thanks a lot, Edmund. Um... We'll now hear from Kerry Hudson, but before before we do, uh, I think it's really key, and I'm sure she will say, that the chronic underfunding uh, of the criminal bar is the same chronic underfunding um, for, for criminal solicitors. And in both areas, that chronic underfunding has meant that there's not enough people to do the work that needs doing. And the people who are left doing the work um, without without the pay that they they should be seeing, without fair pay, are doing so working ridiculously long hours. Um, and I think I, I, I say this as a, well, I say this as a, as a barrister in the criminal field, but I know that if I am up late working or, or certainly that even though I am doing the absolute best that I can for my client, I'm probably not as sharp, I'm probably not as t- turned on the following day as I would be if I was allowed to have um, a full night of sleep and weekends. Um, so before we hear from Kerry, I'm going to just ask that a video of her, um, I think in fact the LCCSA called the protest outside the Old Bailey um, on that first uh, day of action. So I'm going to ask that we play a two minute video. Thank you every single person who's here today. I'm a criminal solicitor and I stand with my colleagues, the criminal bar here, shoulder to shoulder. Their fight is our fight. This government works on the basis of divide and divide and conquer. We're not gonna let that happen to us. We need them and they need us. And the public need us to work together to make sure that justice is done and seen to be done. We don't ask for much. We are criminal legal aid solicitors, not commercial solicitors. 
we work on minimum wage, often we make a loss on the work that we do. So regardless of what you may read in the press, it's all rubbish. <laughs> Listen to the people here today. We are the people on the front line. What we tell you is the truth. We have nothing to gain and nothing to lose by telling the truth. It is the reality of every day we face. We are here putting our blood, sweat and tears into this job because we care about what we do. If we didn't, we'd all quit and we'd all get jobs in the Magic Circle firms. <laughs> Legal Aid has survived on people like me and the colleagues that are standing next to me today. It's, it's basically our goodwill, and that goodwill is running out. We are holding it together on a wing and a prayer and a bit of sticky tape. But we can't do that forever. We need the public to understand that. I'm going to hand over to Kerry now. Thank you, Hannah, and thank you very much to Grace and Edmund for speaking um, so well before me. Um, Solicitors are in a bit of a difficult position. And I just want to start off by saying that the firm that I run um, deals with over 90, 95% of work is um, it's legal aid. It's not private work. So decisions that we make for our firm are literally going to determine the future as to whether we survive and whether the solicitors that we employ survive. So it's really, really difficult to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with our barrister colleagues, but also satisfy all of the compliance rules that are on us from the SRA, the Law Society and our legal aid contracts. And we have very similar issues to the bar. And you know, I said in, in, my, in the video, I don't know if it, if it was cool, but I said we're two, two sides of the same coin. And I really believe that the current system means that we have to work together. The solicitors and barristers work together to create what we call justice. So uh, the issues that we're facing as solicitors specifically is that we're working on 1996 rates. And I always say to people, well, if you want to understand what I feel like as a solicitor and what I feel like running this firm, if I asked you to dig out a 1996 pay slip and I said to you, right, well, you, you pay all your bills this month on what you got in 1996, you would laugh at me. And that is what we are doing. And we've been doing that for many, many years. But on top of that now, we've got the issue of having just gone through a global pandemic. So a lot of firms have got additional um, debt. So whether that's bounce back loans, uh, whether they uh, deferred VAT, you know, there's lots of things that we've had to do to get to where we are now. So those firms that are still surviving, they only did that because they run the firms on fumes and they put you know, hours and hours and hours of themselves into it. So we're exhausted. And in the video, I said it was goodwill that got us through. So uh, the fees that we get for lower crime. 1996 rates, but also we make a loss on a lot of it because of the kind of bonkers way that it's billed. So, you know, I won't get too much detail on today's uh, webinar, but I'm happy to answer questions around it. But um, it's basically a lower fee, a higher fee, and then an escape. Uh, but the amount that you get, so if you go over the lower fee just by a couple of hours, you actually don't go up to the higher fee. So you actually do work for nothing. So it's a bit like what the bar's argument is, you know, you do work for nothing if you can't take a case through to trial. And we do the same thing. We do extra work, extra client care work, out of hours work, all the handholding for not, not much in return. Uh, same with the LF1. So uh, the advocacy fees and the litigated fees, they are both appalling. Um, everyone knows about elected fees for the bar. It's the same for litigators as well. You know, we'll do hours and hours of work people with mental health problems, uh, people in custody, and 
for reasons that are beyond our control, if a case that's gone to the Crown Court elected then cracks out, we get a fixed fee of about £300. So again, yeah, that, that's completely bonkers because we've had to pay for all the outgoings. So the bar, yeah, the individual person is out of pocket. For us, we've got to pay the overheads as well. So the salaries, practicing certificates, PII, you name it, that all has to come out of those derisory fees. Um, we also have the same recruitment and retention issues as the bar. The average age of a duty solicitor must be about 50 now. I think it was 48 last time the Law Society did the data on it, and that's well out of date now. It's at least three or four years old. Um, I'm in my early 40s, and I, I'm the last person that trained in my firm. So there's a generation gap there of about, what, 15, 20 years? So even if they suddenly put the fees up today, as we're asking, it's like turning a truck. We're not going to overnight be able to suddenly you know, generate all these solicitors that are going to be capable of running complex cases and running the firms in the future. It's a massive, massive turnaround that needs to happen. But if we don't stop leaking duty solicitors out the system, there's no one to train those people either. So you're, you're actually losing the skill set. And regardless of what you know, the press say and what the public might think of us, we are highly skilled professionals. You know, we, we work in a very niche area. Criminal defence is quite unique. You can't just cross over from another firm, you know, commercial firm into crime. It doesn't work like that. And I just think that gets lost in the message. So what I want is the bar and solicitors to work together to really promote what that skill is. And we must know our worth. And by standing together, we can say this is what we're worth. And you know what? If we don't go to work, you can't just go and get a, an agency to fill, fill in for us, it, you know, you need us if you want justice to, to work and you need us if you really do want to look after all the victims and all the rest of the diatribe that's being pumped out at the moment by the Ministry of Justice about being, um, you know, there for victims and hard on criminals and all this kind of business. So um, that's kind of an overview of where we are. Now, what I wanted to talk to you about today is um, why solicitors can't just walk out and go on strike in the same way that barristers can. Um, and, you know, the long and short of it is there's, well, I'll split it into two. There's the SRA and then there's uh, our contracts. Now, the SRA principles are broadly going to be similar to what the bar um, regulations are. You know, we have a duty to act in the best interests of our clients um, and, up, and to uphold the constitutional principle of the rule of law and the proper administration of justice. Fair enough. We also, as a firm, have to have effective governance and systems and controls in place to make sure that we um, are basically complying with our regulatory arrangements. So that's all fine. And, you know, you could argue that the bar are putting their regulatory kind of professional uh, reputations at risk and they could face the regulator if they don't go to work. And I know there's been the, the guidance recently about the human rights around that. But um, for solicitors, we've got that. But. In addition to that, if it was that alone, it wouldn't be so bad. But the problem is, is the, the way that the contracts work with the legal aid agency. So remember, as the current system stands, and it may well change in the future, but as it stands, it's the solicitor's firms that hold the representation orders. So it's us that has the contractual requirement to do what they say. And the consequences of not doing what they say and how they say it is um, anything from a contract notice right up to a fundamental breach and a fundamental breach would lead to the contract being taken away from a firm. So for firms like mine, it could mean having to shut overnight. That's how serious it is. So fundamental breach. Um, we've got a couple of, uh, well, in, in the contract it says, it, the contract itself, it says that we have to act in the best interest of our clients, fair enough, um, and any breach will deem to be a fundamental breach. 
Now, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, it's so generic. And the problem is, is the legal aid agency will find any excuse to be, I hesitate to use the word hostile, but it comes across as hostile. I'm sure that's not the intention. But when they're penny picking over 10p uh, on a disbursement claim, or they're finding any excuse to send back you know, legitimate claims for work fairly done, day in, day out, then I, I couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't use any excuse possible to say we're not acting in the best interest of our client if we don't turn up to something we're contractually required to do. So, for example, if we all walked out from a court duty or if we walked out from, um, I don't know, not, not uh, undertaking a rotated police station duty, you can see how that could escalate pretty quickly for the individual solicitors um, involved and for the firms who are signing the contract. Um, the only way I can see around that is if, if my employees decided to join a union and walk out, well, there's not much I can do about that other than to write to my contract manager and say, well, I've taken all reasonable steps to try and get this duty covered, but there is nobody available to do it. And then if I contacted all the local firms in my area and said, will you do a swap? And they all said, sorry, we've got nobody available. And you can see how that could escalate. And Edmund was talking about how legal sector workers can be organised. Well, that's what needs to happen, isn't it? I can't tell my staff not to go to court or to go to police stations. And I can't breach my contract. And as the director of the firm, I can't go on strike. But that doesn't mean that the people around me can't organise themselves to withdraw their labour. And I always say doing this job is a bit like doing the housework. You know, they just take for granted that it gets done and justice works until you stop. And then they realise how important we are, you know, right from the beginning at the police station at the magistrate's court. And remember, you know, a lot of the press attention is on the Crown Court work, rightly so. However, 90 odd percent of work never makes it to the Crown Court. It's in the magistrate's court. And before it's got to the magistrate's court or the Crown Court, there's lots of work that's been done by hardworking solicitors in the police station. And as Hannah said, you know, the, the goodwill is running out. We are going out all hours of day of the day and night, 24-7, Christmas bank holidays, weekends on a fixed fee from 1996. There's no standby fee for being on call all over the weekend. You know, you could be woken up all through the night. You still have to get up and go to court the next day. Uh, you know, sometimes we will be on three to four days at a time where you haven't had a day off and, or, or, or a full night's sleep. You know, and police officers laugh at me when I tell them we're not on shifts. You know, shifts don't exist for us. And the only reason it's worked that way for so long is because of the goodwill of people like us in the system. And as Ed, Edmund said, it's, uh, it's taken advantage of people who really care about what they're doing. We're not going to leave our young clients in the cells overnight. You know, we're not going to not turn up to court when people are there needing our help. And unfortunately, the government know that and they, they take advantage of that. The other issue around employees, though, is that a couple of people in meetings I've been to said, well, they'd only be willing to walk out as employees if their employers gave them some sort of guarantee or undertaking that no action would be taken under the context. Again, that's pretty difficult. I, I cannot say that because there's so many rules and regulations that I have to follow. And even if I did say that, it doesn't mean that other firms are on the same page. You know, it depends on the nature of the firm and, and what their obligations are. You know, a firm who's up to its neck in debt may be less likely to be supporting workers walking out uh, than those that are not in so much debt. And of course, you know, if you ask the, the person walking out, well, OK, you can walk out, but would you be willing to forego your salary over that period, like the bar are? 
then there's hesitation. And I understand that because people on, on such low wages, you know, most people are one or two paychecks away from you know, being homeless. And it's only going to get worse with inflation and you know, the cost of living crisis and stuff like that. So there's not a simple fix to that. So even if we can get everyone motivated to, to do a walkout, there's always going to be these, these problems that uh, arise. So I just wanted to highlight those issues because sometimes it does look like on the face of it that solicitors are not putting their money where their mouths are, so to speak, and that we're somehow undermining the bar. And uh, the second thing I was going to talk about was just what we are actually doing that can't be seen uh, in terms of supporting the bar. So the first thing is uh, the LCCSA, we're trying to implement not doing certain types of work. So we started off with burglary. Uh, it's a slow burn, unfortunately. There aren't that many burglaries. And in fact, there's not that much, that many cases at all. There appears to be a, a slow drip feed from the police station at the moment. Not many cases being charged at all. I don't know if that's deliberate. I don't know if it's because it's the summer. I don't know if it's because they're at the end of a budget period. And there could be all sorts of reasons, but it's a bit of a kind of coincidence. Um, we have talked about escalating it up to domestic violence and you know hitting on where it hurts, you know, the cases which are the flavour of the month in, in the press, you know, the, and then escalating up into the sex cases as well, where you know rape victims appear to be, you know, in the in the press at the moment. Um, other things we're not doing is we're not sending our HCAs out to take a return. Unfortunately, I, I keep saying to Joe and others, you know, you must remember a, a proportion of Crown Court advocacy is done by HCAs. It may not be, I don't know what the, the percentage is actually, I think it's under 20%, but you'd have to check that. But it's still an amount and it's still putting HCAs in a difficult position because they are, some of them are employed and they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They want to walk out with a bar. They don't want to be the only ones at court when all the, all the, the barristers are out outside the Old Bailey or outside the Royal Courts of Justice. But at the same time, they're living under a cloud of fear in, in the, what their employer is going to do and how does that affect the legal aid contract for the firm. The other things that we are doing is we are dealing with all of the fallout from the bar not turning up. So the client care, you know, we are explaining to the clients why their barrister is not at court and you know why their case might be taken out of a list now and put off to the back end of 2024. You know, and it's the emotional side of that. And remember. We've got no staff at all. We've got no admin staff. We've got barely any paralegals. We are doing everything. The senior people in firms are doing everything from the photocopy into running the firm. And it is not sustainable. We've managed it through a pandemic, but we shouldn't be doing that moving forwards. So I just want everyone to know that that's going on underneath. Yeah, and the, the other thing that we've done this week from the LCSA point of view is we have uh, canvassed our members and there is appetite for escalation. But how we do that, we don't know yet because it's not everybody. Remember, the LCCSA is an association as well, not a union. Um, I think we've got about 800 members, but we are just London. So, you know, we could walk out, the whole of London could walk out. You know what happened? They're probably just drafting people from outside of London to do our work. So unless there is some kind of mass escalation and coordination across the whole of England and Wales, we are just a small part that's shouting fairly loudly in London, but not really reaching any further than the M25. Of course, we can go nuclear, you know, in the past, in the last action, those of you that were around uh, long enough uh, or as old as I am, uh, you know, we, there was a period last time where solicitors didn't sign new legal aid orders. Uh, that can be done again. And of course, the absolute nuclear option is solicitors are about to sign the new contract. It's imminent. And unfortunately, they've got us over a barrel. And just going back to my firm, if I don't sign that contract uh, before the October road to start, 
I don't have a firm and I've got I don't have any skin in the game anymore. So it's that serious. Um, so that's just like a, a kind of uh, you know summary, I guess, of what, what's what's going on for us. But I just want to emphasise, you know, that there is appetite for solicitors to support the bar. There's appetite to take direct action, but nobody quite knows how to do it. And we are potentially going to try and take some legal advice around that because there may be ways of doing it. Um, but I think the last thing I just want to say is that our fight is the bar's fight. And the current system means if solicitors go under, so do the bar. If I don't have any money coming through my firm, then I can't instruct the independent bar. It's as simple as that. I can't pay, pay it. I can't do it. And what you're seeing is people stuck in that situation where the firms have given up their, their criminal legal aid contracts and the individual duty solicitors are, I believe, in the uh, the rotors or they're being kicked off because they can't meet the draconian uh, compliance requirements of doing 14 hours a week contract work, you know, doing this amount of police stations, that amount of magistrates courts. It's like constantly babysitting people to have to tick boxes and, you know, for you know, the majority of my day now is doing that, and it's almost like the legal work is secondary to the administrative burden. So um, just remember, we're all on the same page around this, as, even though it doesn't look like it on the, on the surface. And if there, if people do have ideas that they want to canvas to solicitors as to how we can help, what we can do to be more public around our support or anything like that, then please do contact me because. Yeah, we're, we're all ears. We want to do what we can, but within the confines of what we know we can get away with without losing our contracts or being up against the SRA tribunal. Thanks, Kerry. Um, I'm just going to just say a few things and then go out to questions. And if people don't have questions, then I do. Firstly, it was amazing at the start of No Returns back in March, February, um, when the government put out this kind of backup thing for, for HCAs and, and barristers who weren't participating to, to volunteer to help I think it was initially just H HCAs and I think I've just looked it up that there were 19 volunteers um, when there's not enough um, criminal barristers to, to cover the work and you know with the HCAs as well um, having 19 volunteers to take on work and I think a lot of those volunteers said oh actually I didn't need to sign up for that anyway that's not quite right um, is 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 a is a huge display of solidarity because well to, to be honest like a, a returned trial even though you were rushing it last minute you haven't actually done had to sit through the prep work and the person who's handing it over really has um so that's a brilliant display of solidarity and also the same disdain that we've seen from the government and from Dominic Raab for criminal barristers it is so similar to, to what we saw a few months ago where he was accusing solicitors of discouraging um, discouraging their clients from pleading guilty until later on just to um, increase their fees and, and, and really horrible accusations um, of kind of impropriety to, to, to criminal solicitors, really very unjustified. Um, I know that Saskia has got her hand up. Um, I'll, I'll hear from Saskia and then I can maybe put questions as well. Hi everyone. Um, thanks so much for the talks. I've actually got a couple of questions if that's okay. Um, the first one was just picking up on the amount of industries that are striking, as Hannah said when you introduced. And um, I don't know on the ground or those that are striking what appetite there's been to get round a table 
with some of these different industries that are striking. It feels like that would even be uh, even be a useful tool as a publicity campaign to scare the government a picture of these industries around the table. I don't know if anyone's heard anything about that. It'd be really interesting. Um, and my second question was, like, what's the public reaction been on the ground at the pickets? I've not been able to make it down yet, um, but that's been really noticeable in terms of the RMT having broad public support when the government's been demonising them as it has with these strikes. So I'd be interested to know from people what it's been like on the ground with the general public, what the comments have been, that kind of thing. That would be great. Thanks. Um, I'm going to, I think we'll probably, pe different people can respond to different things as, as appropriate or as, as kind of you reckon. I just want to know as well um, from Kerry, in terms of the contract renewal, and kind of joint negotiations on that. Like what's what's the possibility for criminal solicitors jointly negotiating? Like, is there any prospect of jointly negotiating a better legal aid contract across firms? Um, so those are the questions. Who wants to answer first? I don't mind going first. Um, I've been part of the LCSA committee for about, what, six years now? And I've I've sat in meetings, roundtable meetings, where we have gone through that contract bit by bit, suggesting what would be a fair kind of a way of, of making it less one-sided and more taking into account how firms actually run and the solicitors that are working within it. And it effectively just falls in, onto deaf ears. You know, even to the point where I remember somebody um, said uh, suggested an amendment, which was uh, to to take out a line about needing a fax machine because you know who uses fax machines now you know this is, out, this is out how out of date the contracts are and I noted that even in the newer contract I don't know about the current contract but the last contract still had that in it so if you can't even get a minor change like that in a contract then what chance have you got to make it fairer for those working in it so I don't have any faith at all that the contract's going to be any fairer and we don't have any negotiating power at all other than voting with our feet and just not signing it yeah, um, in terms of the roundtable, um, Saskia, I don't think there's been any public roundtable. I think that would be really, really, really strong. And I think it's something that we should push for. Um, but I know that there have certainly been discussions between uh, the higher ups in the CBA and other um, areas, probably mostly within similar matters to us. Um, the RMT did come to our uh, first first picket that was awesome there is huge solidarity between uh different obviously different groups and different groups who are exercising their industrial action i have personally spoken at a couple of different sort of events um alongside other people for example from the rmt and other uh, other unions and other areas so i think actually the reality is, is that it's happening quite a lot on the ground but we're not seeing it happen where where it would get publicity and i think that we we absolutely should and speaking of publicity as well my perception has certainly been that uh, it's twofold. Number one, when I'm on the picket line, I'm getting a really, really good response. I think, Hannah, I don't know if you agree, um, but I've, yeah, I mean, you know, for example, Parliament Square, every time black, black not every time, but most time black cabbies went past, it would be a toot toot in support, which was awesome. Um, so picket lines, definitely. And people I've spoken to as well, separately, definitely good responses as well. The media is unsurprisingly not in agreement with that. You know, we've seen... Uh, various different articles uh spouting the MOJ's nonsense. Um but again I I I'm hopeful perhaps it's a bit more radical but I'm hopeful that we're starting to finally see 
Um, for example, in relation to the RMT difference between the polling and, and what's being peddled by the media, I'm, I'm hoping we're starting to see a split. So I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing that in this context as well. Thanks, uh, Hannah, and thanks everybody for, for the speeches and apologies if, if this has been covered. I was a, little, a wee bit late to the meeting. Um, but in terms of other union action that might be appropriate to line up with, the PCS is the sort of like obvious one with the court staff. Um, so they have announced that they're going to be starting a national strike ballot over there um, to do visionary pay offer um, on the 26th of September. Um, so I don't know whether it's worth planning anything and, and trying to speak to, local, you know, PCS branches in the courts where um, action is, you know, happening to see if there's anything um, there that could be done in the kind of Solidarity Act. Um, but obviously, if, if that national ballot is strike action, um, then you won't have your court clerks, you won't have your court office staff, there won't be your ushers and all, all of that. So I just wondered whether there was something that could be linked. It's going to run for six weeks, that, um, that ballot. It's not just pay, it's pensions and redundancies as well as pay. Um, but they have committed to that um, for six weeks, starting 26th of September. Um, so the key thing there will be to try to help the PCS get out their vote. Um, so that might be an act of solidarity that um, barristers and solicitors might want to do. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right, um, and I think um, I think we actually we we will need to do some serious legwork in order to kind of make that a, a reality. Because of course, um, a lot of the the very good work that's been done uh, by people in the CBA um, has been around um, providing criminal barristers with the arguments and the information that they need to present to judges uh, and say, you know, this, this is why I'm not going to be in this hearing, deal with it, you know, and, and to do so in such a way that um, it's clear that they they won't be vulnerable to regulatory consequences. But then um, if, if, we're, if we're asking then criminal barristers to not go into court because they're respecting a, 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 a picket line of another union, um, mm -hmm. that is going to be a, a level beyond that. And it's an entirely desirable level to take it to but uh, but I think basically we're going to have to do more legwork um to, to reach that point um both in terms of persuading um criminal barristers that that they can do that um you know and they can do that without you know the kind of threats of, of sanctions and, and regulatory action and judges being crossed with them and whatever um but then also the kind of the more the the the, the vaguer kind of side of it which is basically a political argument which is you know making the argument that we should be supporting them that you know obviously we all depend on court staff um that you know nothing nothing would happen in court without the contributions of of, of these people um and therefore that you know that they deserve our solidarity and it's only right if we've been asking people to support our uh fight that that we are then prepared to step up for others as well um and you know that that's that's kind of the you know what I was alluding to with uh, some of the things that I said earlier, which is that you know we 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 very much need to foster and um, inculcate a, a, a sort of spirit of of solidarity um, among the criminal bar, so that we 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 stand a chance of of getting um, you know decent support uh, for uh, others taking action 
uh, whether it be solicitors or, or court security guards or, or court clerks or whoever it may be. Thanks, Edmund. Someone's asked a question uh, which I'm going to hand over, which is, uh, can we not organise a strike fund and ask the Law Society to protect their members' interests, to protect their interests and the interests of their clients? Naive. Anyway, can we organise uh, a strike? Uh, could the Law Society organise a strike fund? Is that is that possible? Um I'm happy to respond to this first, as I've literally just had this conversation yesterday. It's not an naive question at all. It's something that's been asked repeatedly for super obvious reasons. And it's something that um, I think it may have been even Edmund. Edmund and I were on a um, we were on a criminal bar association meeting yesterday, as well as Hannah um, and potentially some others here for those barristers who are under seven years call. Um, and there was a suggestion about potentially organising a strike fund for next time. And the problem with having it this time is that obviously the Coronavirus Association is not a union um, and organising something like a strike fund may uh, first off tip it, uh, tip it over into potentially a different whole area of law. Um, and second off, they simply don't have the funds or, or the resources, not the funds, the resources um, as it's dealt with by volunteers, you know, quite a small uh, group of volunteers. Um, there is the Bar Benevolent Fund in relation to barristers, um, and there is a lot of discussion and circulation of different resources um, that barristers can use. Now, of course, in terms of solicitors, that will be a different kettle of fish, and I'll defer to carry for that. But um, the Law Society wouldn't be the they wouldn't be the assisting sort of party to barristers. It would it would be the Bar Council, and and they're who run the Bar Benevolent Fund. Um, but the CBA in future, um, as Edmund, I, I'm, pretty, I'm always confident it was Edmund yesterday, rightly suggested need to sort this out for next time because um, because then there needs to be something like this in place. Thank you. Um, I'd have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure the Law Society, they're kind of the equivalent of the Bar Council. Um, they're our professional body, so they can't encourage us to strike for competition reasons. So it's unlikely that they'd be able to arrange any kind of benevolent fund for that. However, having said that, what they can do is they can give guidance to solicitors, and that's what we base the um, not doing burglary work on. Uh, so there was a practice note that went out quite a while ago, it was before all this happened, um, that basically said that firms are not obliged to undertake work that would put their firms in jeopardy, so you don't have to take work that makes a loss. So that kind of gives us the mandate to say, you know what, you can't do a we can do that, but we it's not going to help us in terms of uh, if we are going to go bankrupt, then there's, there's no one to lean on to get the extra money, as far as I'm aware. Plus, we can't go bankrupt because that's a uh, will be a breach of our uh, professional <laughs> uh, obligations as well as our legal aid contract. And we have to tell them as well, if we're going to go uh, bankrupt, we have to tell them. <laughs> I know that, um, well, it seems often that the SRA, there's a lot of discourse about the SRA being... Um, it would frankly extremely brutal to solicitors, um, certainly in comparison to the BSB, um, and just really coming down on, on people when they, yeah, being very, very strict. Um, someone said a solicitor's charity benevolent fund, and it's been posted maybe there's a solicitor's charity as an equivalent to the um, bar benevolent fund. Um, thank you everyone for coming. And thank you especially to our speakers um for speaking and everyone for asking very uh, interesting questions we will be having another event soon but yeah thank you for coming and maybe i won't tell you when that is maybe <laughs> can jump in if she wants um 
you can go to the Haldane website if you want, haldane.org. And if you want to join, you can go to haldane.org forward slash join. Um, yeah, thanks for coming and have a good evening, everyone. Goodbye.